When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. All right, guys, if you want to make games fast, you need tools that help you make games fast. So that's why we interviewed Danny Oaks to talk about how awesome SpeedTree is. And this is not a plug. This is just the promo. <laughs> yes. Uh, in this episode, Danny Oaks walk us through, like, you know, his previous career outside of gaming, how he got into the gaming industry, and how he learned everything on his own, on the job, for the job, uh, working at SpeedTree. We're talking about Unreal. We're talking about 3D modeling. We're talking about environment modeling. He was able to pick it up with no prior experience before. So it's pretty inspirational how he did it. Yeah, it's uh, I definitely learned a lot. I know that I've worked at a couple of studios that have used it. And it was cool to hear how he talked about the software evolving over time and the things that he expects it to expects to see it do in the near future. Yeah, it's an episode that I've always wanted to do because we're in a realm of let's like it or not. Battle Royale trees are here to stay and they're going to be. In the future, uh, plentiful in every game that you ever play. So Speedtree, I feel, are one of the companies that I think as a developer, we should keep note of. So without further ado, guys, jump on into this week's episode. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, welcome back. It is Tuesday. If you're listening to this on the day it came out, at least, this is Larry Charles, one half of the Game Dev Unchained podcast team. And if you know your basic math, then you know that if I'm by myself, then half means there's somebody else helping me bring this podcast to life. And we wanted to let you know that this man eats his Wheaties for breakfast, Mr. Brandon Pham. Well, I skipped this morning and that was a long introduction I got to put together. This is Brandon Pham. Welcome to this week's episode. Joining me this week is Danny Oaks. How you doing, Danny? I've been great, guys. Morning, Danny. How's it yeah. going, man? Danny, right. thank you for uh, finally, uh, well, meeting with us. And <laughs> <laughs> it's been a long, long time. But uh, this is the part of the show that we asked a little bit about your background, where you are now, and where you're heading. Okay. Um, yeah, so obviously, uh, I'm at Speedtree, right? Uh, we're a very small company over here. A lot of people think that Speedtree is this, you know, large corporation that manufactures tons of big trees, but we're actually, uh, there's only nine people. So wow. it's a little hard to say what I do right now because I do a lot of things. Um, you know, I technically am director of operations and marketing, but... Like uh, yesterday, I was working on our website, um, you know, working on some marketing stuff that we have going forward, and then also helping to redo our shaders for Clarice to make sure that we've got everything looking good for some new integrations that are coming up. So, kind of everything from the tech art side to the uh, marketing, web, social media side is kind of what I cover. Nice. Um, yeah. So it's actually going to feel good. It's it's good. It's a lot. <laughs> I'm not going to lie. It's it's a lot. Uh, the great thing about the thing that I really enjoy about working here actually is just that there's always something new to learn and there's always a new problem to solve. And I really like solving problems and I really like learning. So this, this job has basically been um, sort of like, uh, it's like a, you know, it's like going to college for 
and trying to do the job that you're going to college for at the same time. I have to constantly be learning all the time. A lot of times I'll work, you know, eight hours on a project and I'll have to spend another six hours just learning enough to, you know, to get to the next day. Um, you know, I just started learning Clarice, which has been great. Uh, you know, on the docket for me is to, you know, get into Houdini next and just kind of take every application I can and learn as much about it, figure out new ways that Speedtree can work with it, figure out how people who are using Speedtree now are using it. And um, I don't know, it's, it's, it's pretty exciting. It's, it's a lot of fun. I got to give you kudos for being somebody who claims that they didn't know much about their job and went in and had to learn while doing is in the game industry those people don't last <laughs> so yeah, oh, no. yeah yeah no it's um yeah no uh previously before before this uh i didn't actually have any game development experience so i come from a music and photography background mm -hmm. uh, and so that's why i studied in college and uh Basically, I was, you know, looking to go in a different direction, and I had a friend who worked at this job, and um, uh, I did whatever I could do to get my foot in the door, and that meant, you know, running the Twitter feed for a while, and then uh, I just learned everything I could. Um, just started in my community, actually. Hey, just learned everything I could community. about Unity, uh, and yeah, really enjoyed getting into the community there. Um, and I started learning UE4, and I just, you know, just learned every single thing I could just to kind of, you know, get into here and yeah. great. Yeah. And you get to skip like a hefty art school education. <laughs> That's right. Yeah. 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 It's, it's definitely the cheaper way to do it, but it's, it was, it's been a, yeah, it's really hard. Also, it's just, you just have to keep learning constantly. And anytime that, um, yeah. Anytime that you're coming across something that you don't know, you have to just figure, well, I guess I'm going to spend the next, you know, two weeks trying to figure this out and just keep learning. So, like, was game development ever in your mind while you were going through college, or was it just an opportunity that popped up and you pursued it? Obviously, you played oh. games before, I'm assuming. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that was actually uh, one of my favorite parts about applying here was, um, you know, I put on my resume my uh, Steam <laughs> <laughs> you know, my Steam ID so they, they could go through and see all the games that I have played and all the games that I haven't played. Um, yeah, so games was always a big part of my life growing up. Um, and it was uh, something that I was always fascinated by. And uh, I always loved, um, you know. And so, but when I got to college, you know, I started focusing more on music and photography. And, you know, games was something that I always followed. It was something I would always read all the news articles about and keep up with, but I wasn't playing as much. Um, okay. And so game development never really seemed like an option, but I was always fascinated by it. I was always fascinated by the technology behind it. Um, in I think in my brain, I kind of related to uh, building dioramas, I think, which is something that that I always did, like anytime that there was a school project as a kid, um, I would always find a way to build a diorama for it, right? It's like World War One. all right, we're going to build a World War One diorama and I'm going to, you know, uh, put all these things in, in place. And um, and there's, there's an element of that that I've always been really fascinated by, which is also why I've always really loved photography. And it's that feeling, I remember the first time I saw a diorama, it was a like this kid I knew, his mom had put it together for his school project, but it was like this shoebox, and you look through the shoe, like this little hole, and there was a hole on top to let the light in, and you look through, and he had this, uh, like, Jeep that was set in this moss, and it was just like you're, you just, 
the forced perspective and controlling the lighting with it and sound, it was just like there was something magical about seeing and creating a new world like that. And in photography, you're looking through a lens and you're, um, the world is automatically transformed, right? And you're capturing something new. And with uh, gaming and game development, it's that same feeling of when you can, you know, when you create a terrain and, um, you know, you start populating it with trees and, and building an atmosphere. It's just this this kind of magical moment of, um, I don't know, the transportation. I don't know. It's that same feeling I got when I was a kid, you know, looking through that little pinhole and seeing a new world is the same thing I get when I'm, you know, building something, you know, building a test level in UE4 or something. It's just that same feeling of looking through that pinhole and there's this whole new world to just create. And, wow. and I, I, I really, it's it's wonderful. Man, um, you, made, you just made me time travel because I remember too, not necessarily making them, but like a lot of people in, you know, elementary to high school were doing like diorama projects. And I remember doing a little like look through the hole and like seeing all those little scenes and being so yeah. amazed. Yeah, that's... It takes great, me back, man. Yeah, yeah the, the forced perspective, right? It was, um, I don't know, it's just, there's something that was always kind of fascinating to me about that. Um, just this whole world in a box. And game yeah. development, I think, plays right into that. So it's not something I necessarily saw myself going into, but um, it's something that I found a, honestly an unexpected amount of joy in um, that ties into everything else that I've, you know, appreciated about art and that's driven me in all those other directions as well that's so cool man. Yeah. Well, your particular role at speed tree uh with only nine people uh it was definitely a competitive role right so yeah. what is it exactly that you felt gave you the edge um that they saw over other other candidates um I think that there's a couple things. Um, the first thing is the ability to um, identify problems and solve them. Uh, you know, being a musician and a photographer means that I've worked a lot of jobs that weren't, you know, playing guitar or taking pictures because mm -hmm. you always have to work your day job. Um, and one thing that I've learned in all these jobs is, especially working at small companies, is um, how to identify problems that are holding um, that are holding the company back, um, and how to communicate that problem, and then how to come up with a plan to solve it. And it's very much the same experience as, um, honestly, it's the same thing that I experienced working in a band. Right in a band, you've got, you know, we have five people in the band, and it's five creative individuals, and there's all kinds of conflict that can occur and it's very easy to get lost in just the you know well we're just making music but if you're trying to focus and make a record you have to uh, you, you do have to address the hard issues of we're not functioning we're not working together we're not communicating we have to sit down and we have to address these issues if we're going to actually get anything done mm -hmm. um, and and being able to do that at this company is one of the reasons why I've been able to do well. And one of the things that kind of helped me stand out was the ability to come here and be like, all right, we're trying to get to here. And these things are holding us up. And I think that we can do this better by doing, you know, X, Y, and Z. So the ability to identify problems, um, you know, communicate what those problems are in a way that doesn't, you know, that's not just, you know, being 
uh, an asshole <laughs> and saying like, oh, well, you're just doing everything wrong. Um, it's ne it's never about that. It's just about, you know, finding problems and then finding solutions for a problem that work for everyone and uh, moving us to a better place where we can be more efficient. And um, that's something that kind of helps set me apart. Um, the other part of it is just uh, a willingness to learn. I think a lot of people, they have a set of skills that they bring to a job and that's their thing. Um, but if you're willing to use, to deny yourself that identity of this is my thing, then you open yourself up to learning a lot more. Um, and so when I got here, I, you know, fully admitted, I've got no idea, but I'm willing to learn. And so I just dedicated myself to learning and um, that's, that's really helped. So. So I'd like to know, how exactly do you feel like you were introduced to the opportunity to, you know, kind of come on board the speed tree, I guess? Where was the, it was at a bar, sending a resume, just taking a shot in the dark? Uh, the former bassist in my, in one of my bands, um, got a job here doing QA mm -hmm. and he told me about it and I was mm -hmm. like, oh my gosh, like mm -hmm. that, like that sounds great. And honestly, like part of it too is, um, I'm a big fan of trees and I'm a big fan of nature and oh, yeah. it's always been I love when like, I breathe. Yeah. It's it's just this really important part of my life anyways. And um and I've always been fascinated about that in the video games too, right? Because mm -hmm. growing up, like that was always a thing. Uh, you know, you start off in the mid nineties and if they have one tree in a game and it's just a spike, you're like, that's amazing. Yeah. Right. And then you, you get into the early two thousands and we have more tree like objects. And now it's just becoming this, you know it's it's crazy what we're capable of creating in terms of creating natural vegetation that's a whole process that really appealed to me and so when i found out that he was working there i uh like i told him i was like any job opportunity i don't care what it is i will sweep the floors like just anything that i can do there i will do it um and then an opportunity came up for the social media manager position and i spent about three months sending in writing samples and um you know doing interviews and uh, you, you know, just kind of pitching different ideas. And after a couple months, um, I, and I had to do a period where I was working of my previous job and working at speed tree, um, you know, working like 80 hours a week, just trying to help figure out if I could be a good fit for the company. And then, uh, at the end of that month, um, yeah, at the end of that month, there's this, there's this really crazy moment where, um, you know, I asked how I was going and I said, hey, I kind of need a commitment here one way or the other. And they said, yep, you know what, uh, we're going to do this. And next week, we're going to put you on a plane to GDC. And I was like, oh, that's amazing. And then I'm like, oh, shit, I don't know enough to go to GDC. And it was this huge, like, overwhelming experience. Uh, and, you know, where I just learned everything that I don't know, uh, which was great. Um, you know, but yeah, it's that's kind of how I got started. Did you at least get to enjoy the 80 hour a week paycheck? <laughs> <laughs> uh, there was a paycheck, um, yeah. you know, but yeah, it was, uh, yeah, you just got to put in the hours and everything you do, right? That's got to do it. So speaking of putting in the hours, you, I mean, anytime that you have to get up to speed on your own, uh, yeah. it takes a lot of motivation. It takes a lot of discipline. How did you get over that hump trying to catching up with game development? Like just like what yeah. helped you 
what guided you or was it completely just Google and just seeing what, what's out there? Well, the, one of the good things about that speech is that, you know, I do have really, you know, very, very talented people around me that I can ask questions to and they can point me in the right direction. And um, one of the best parts about that, too, is to have people tell you when you're wrong, uh, you know. So I can say, hey, so I think that, you know, I think that this does this. Does, does that sound right? And they're like, no, 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 that's completely wrong. Like, you're way off track. And then I can adjust and get on the right path. But one of the things that helped me is that I had already taught myself photography in the past. And, um, and I found that when you're teaching yourself something, the first step is to learn the language. And in learning the language, the first step is to learn everything that you don't know. So just making a mental note of every single word that I don't understand that seems important. Everyone is saying this word, and it seems like it's doing something. I don't know what it means. And just finding um, finding all those pieces of the language. And then once you find, once you have a basic understanding of the language, you can start putting those uh, elements of language into more complicated concepts. So just starting at the very, very basics, you know, foundational levels of what words do I need to know in order to be able to communicate this? What words do I need to know in order to be able to use this program? And then um, using that as a building block to say, okay, now that I know what these things mean, how can I use these to figure out the more complicated problems? Um, I I think a lot of people, when they're trying to learn something, they'll start with, well, let me just do a tutorial for this very complicated thing. And that will teach you one path to solve that problem. And I've found that the best way to teach yourself something is to learn the language, um, learn the uh, uh, learn the taste is another part of it. Um, you have to learn what's good and what's bad, and then learn why that's bad and why that's good, and be able to communicate that. Because if you can't communicate it, the odds of you being able to create it are are um, it's less likely. So yeah, so for me, I just yeah, I just approach it the same way I approach a lot of things. Learn the language. Um, then once you learn the language, learn the concepts that those language, you know, those words represent, and then use that to build a better understanding of the industry as a whole, the, the idea as a whole. And so I started in Unity, and you know, I, I learned what a shader is. I learned how to write shaders. I learned about deferred and forward rendering. I learned about instancing. Um, and then I was able to go into UE4 and take those same that same those same words and those same concepts and figure out how they applied in UE4. And then I was able to take what I learned there and go into you know into something like Clarice and be like, all right, so these same words and concepts apply. They're just in a different location. Yeah. If I can figure out the location, I can figure out how to do what I needed to do. And that's been one of the I mean, honestly, one of the wonderful things about this is like. You know, learning how to do fog in, um, you know, Unreal Engine 4 and how to set up a really realistic atmosphere is exactly the same thing how you do it inside of Clarice. You know, mm-hmm. you set up a fog volume and the principles are the same, even though you have to do a lot of different things. The principles are the same. And if you learn that, you can learn pretty much anything. So, so I, it kind of reminds me of what engineers go through when they say that, like, you know, once you learn programming or programming theory, going language to language is just learning the syntax, you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I very much think that art is the same way. Um, yeah. Like, art as a whole and any technique is just a technique. There's a language behind it. And that's always been, uh, that was one of the biggest things that I, I feel like I took away from studying music in college 
was this idea that um, the art behind music isn't the music itself, right? Um, you can play, <laughs> there's a lot of bad jazz out there, right? There's a lot of jazz <laughs> that's just like, you know, this is the most mathematically complex jazz song ever written, but it's just not enjoyable, it's right? A feeling. Yeah, and so what's actually being communicated there is the ideas behind it. And if you can learn how to communicate those ideas and learn those principles behind it, you can you can funnel that into any technique. And then you're just limited to your ability to do that technique. I'm never going to be a great dancer, <laughs> but oh. like, I feel like I could understand like, you know, the ideas behind it. I'm just not, I just have no coordination. I'm just physically limited <laughs> in that way. But I, I think that if you can learn those, that that language and learn the principles, then the rest of it is just technique. You've, you've overcome the mental barrier. The rest of it is just, um, you know, hand-eye coordination and, you know, muscle memory and learning the technique. And that's in a lot of ways the easy part because you can practice that over and over and over again to get it right. Well, there's something that I learned in my career and uh, it definitely is involved, language is involved. It's a, a word game I like to play, and we're gonna play it right now. It's called the Fast right. Five. Okay. How it works is I'm gonna ask you five rapid fire questions, and all I need from you is five rapid fire answers. Are you ready to play? I maybe not, but we'll see. Okay. Some some greats before you have come and gone and played this game, so don't worry, you're in good hands. Okay. Uh, question number one: doo -doo 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 -doo. What is your favorite breakfast food when you're late to work? Uh, Sunbelt granola bars. I don't know why, man, but like if I'm running late to work and I swing by a gas station, they're just like these cheap, chewy granola bars, and it just like makes my day better. Okay. It's not good for me, it's terrible, but I just love it. I don't know. All right. Fair enough. Question number two What was the first video game that amazed you? Uh, let's see, that would probably be, um, that really truly amazed me might be Half-Life, the original Half-Life, okay. or Jedi Knight Dark Forces 2. Okay. Um, both those both were heavy hitters. Yeah, hugely atmospheric and just like took me into another world. Half-Life especially was just this, I remember playing that on my brother's computer when he was home from college on his giant stereo system with all the lights off and it was just the most terrifying, wonderful experience I've had <laughs> in my life, it was great. That's awesome. Uh, question number three, what's your favorite video game boss that you ever encountered? Didn't even have to win, but just the most fun you had fighting a boss. That's a hard one. Uh, I just off the top of my head, the first thing that comes to mind is, you know. Mike Tyson. You, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, maybe the, um, the second, uh, the second Colossus from Shadows of the Colossus, right? Yeah. Um, yeah. Is because it was this wonderful idea there of of sadness as you're fighting it, right? Um, because you kind of get the sense that this isn't something evil, and that there's something beautiful to it, and that it's it's almost like it, it doesn't feel like you are defeating something that is attacking you. There's a lot of complex emotions that are behind it, and that that was probably probably i don't know that 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 is the first thing that comes to mind is that second colossus that's the okay. first time you yeah i think you really start to see the beauty of the colossus that you're fighting 
can start to question what you're doing. Mm-hmm. We are rounding the corner and making the home stretch. Question okay. number four. What's the game that you put the most amount of time into playing? Oh, the most amount of time into playing. Um, that's hard because I put a lot of time into a lot of games. I think most time is probably going to be Witcher 3. Mm-hmm. I think I've put like a hundred hours into that game and I still haven't beaten it. <laughs> so <laughs> it's just a huge game. Um, and I've put a lot of time to that. Oh, that's, that's a hard thing. Um, I, going back to like Jedi Knight Dark Forces 2, I think I played that game easily 15 times through as a kid. So that, that one might oh, also be that. Yeah. You know, we didn't have hour tracking like we do on Steam now. So who knows? Yeah. Last question should be easy, or maybe it won't be, but uh, Canon or Nikon? Oh, uh, Canon. Um, nice. But I'm, I'm shooting Sony now. I switched to Sony, so. Oh, um, they're not even in the criteria. I need to update my question. There, but, you know, I, I oh. had some Nikon lenses, and I had some Canon lenses, and so I switched to Sony, and I can shoot both. So oh. it's the best of both worlds. Okay, guys, let's say we take a short break and and have a word from our sponsors. Dang, dude, at this point, you must be like the Quixel master because I know you know the suite already, but I'm still seeing the Megascan stuff when I look over your shoulder, man. We're supposed to be podcasting. What's going on over there? Hey, this is a very addictive tool area. I can't put my hands away from using Megascans. It's the easiest, quickest way to put in awesome photogrammetry 3D assets and textures at a click of a button. Uh, you know, they have two apps that are available once you are subscribed. The Quixel Mixer allows me to create textures of my own, right? Using all the photogrammetry textures available. And the Mega Scans Bridge, it's so simple and straight to the point, it just rolls off the tongue. The bridge allows me to just integrate anything that I have from the Mega Scan library into my favorite 3D tool package like unreal or unity so easy that a level designer such as yourself can use there yeah i i've used it only a little bit though because i just want to test it out but i'm not as good as you but the good news is i was able to do it so anybody out there who may not have the artistic chops but wants a quick way to actually get some high quality looking assets into their levels definitely want to at least check it out especially if you can get it on discount Exactly. Check it out at megascans.se on checkout. Enter our special code GDU. That will give you three months, 30% off. And we can't go without saying and mentioning our good friends at 80.lv, the number one resource. Yeah, they're like the best news aggregate for development of games in the written form. (laughs) That's why they're a great partnership for us. There's always tutorials. There's always work breakdowns and just really cool interviews that you can find on 80.LV, whether you're an artist, whether you're a lighter, whether you're a technical artist, you know, definitely want to go check out the content there. You can further yourself by following along as other people are breaking down stuff that they've worked on or learn a couple of new tips that you never even knew about yourself. Stay on the cutting edge and follow the trends because we break them or they break them down pretty well over there. Yes, that's 80.lv. A lot of listeners get confused about what what is 80.lv. How do you spell that out? So it's 80.lv. If you want to continue the conversation, talk to other listeners, go check our Discord on our website, www.gamedevunchained.com. 
we are always asking about future guest requests, you know, rounding up table news for the month. A lot of cool conversations are happening right now. Uh, go join them and check it out. And now that we've got advertising out of the way, I definitely want to give a shout out to all the awesome people who are financially contributing to this podcast and keeping the lights on in our podcast studio. So thank you to everyone on Patreon who's getting all the juicy Patreon goodies that we give out every month. And for those who aren't getting any of that, Brandon, just tell them how they can win. Just go and head over to our patreon.com forward slash game dev unchained and support yep. us any way that you can. Exclusive content like Life Unchained is part of that where we provide behind the scene planning of the week as well as early raw episodes that we just record and put up so you get them two weeks sometimes three weeks ahead of mm -hmm. the general public also be sure to follow us on facebook twitter youtube any of your preferred social networks because we are streaming live we're starting to do a lot of video content that is not available in podcast form we're talking about things like recap that is happening every Friday morning. Mm. And for you listeners who don't know what recap is, Larry, why don't you paint them a little picture? Sure. So recap is coming back to life. It's like re recapping, but basically we're going to take a very significant news topic. We're going to break it down in a quick podcast style, like conversation with video. Uh, we really love recap and we'd like to give a little extra bit of content for people who are looking for more game dev unchained typed media. So here you go. Recap once a week. Thank you everyone. Let's get back into the episode. Yeah. So, uh, Danny, um, yeah. being in charge of marketing of a small team, there's a lot of uh, relatability to a lot of indie devs out there, a lot of people who are trying to market themselves but have no clue on, on how to do that. So if there is any way to break it down in a 101, these are your must-haves. Mm -hmm. What would that be? Uh, I would I would say this. Um, the most important thing, again, I'm uh, is probably not necessarily what you do, but how you do it, um, and engaging honestly with any community will result in honest engagement. Um, so if you're engaging with people on Twitter, if you're engaging with people on a forum, if you're engaging with people over, you know, using Twitch, the best thing that you can do is just be honest and open with the people that you are engaging with. Because the goal is to generate a community. Mm -hmm. And in order to be a part of a community, you have to participate with it. And if you are coming up the community with the intent to monetize that community, um, people can sense that and they will be defensive and they won't engage. So what you have to do is basically you don't want to, and these kind of things I always like to think of it like a, it's kind of like you're trying to get people to sit down for dinner together, right? That's a community. That's one of the basic building blocks of community. And if you go out to everyone and be like, hey, I'm, you know, like I'm handing out flyers for a dinner. I'm, you know, I'm, you know, come to my dinner, come to my dinner, come to my dinner, come to my dinner. A lot of times we're going to be like, this guy, like, what, what, this guy's trying to sell me something. I don't understand. But if you can um, set the table and have a few people that you can honestly engage with, a small community that is already there and sitting at the table um, and enjoying that meal together and 
participate in that community together, people will see that and they'll want to be a part of that and people will be attracted to it. So sometimes the goal isn't trying to create the community by getting a bunch of people there. It's by honestly engaging with the small core community around you, you create something that's way more attractive and powerful than any you know, email blast or Twitter feed that you possibly do. And I think we see it time and time again with indie devs, um, anyone who's trying to do marketing, the ones who are able to engage honestly are the ones who end up with, you know, this, um, you know, great community around them. And people are like, well, how do I recreate that? Well, you don't start by doing exactly what they did. You start by doing the concept behind what they do, which is engaging and participating and being with people. there's so many different social networks out there uh do you have any advice on you know just the big players out there facebook twitter is there a different approach that we should uh keep mind of when uh using those different social platforms or are they all the same what's your suggestion um i think i think there are there's there's a lot of advantages and disadvantages to both, but the best thing I would say is that same idea of go where your community is at. Um, if you are finding a lot of engagement on Facebook, uh, then that might be your medium. If you're finding a lot of engagement on Twitter, that might be your medium. But go to where your community is and where you find that engagement. And if you're not getting that engagement, um, you know, figure out if it's doing if you're doing something um, wrong. Uh, or if it's just not, it's just not your market, and that's mm-hmm. fine. Some people, um, you know, are able to write a book and turn that book into a bestseller, and then a movie called The Martian because they found a community on Reddit, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, some people are able to find that community on Facebook or on a certain forum, or even just in like one Discord chat, right? It's it's really, again, it's not about the technique; it's about understanding. The concepts behind that technique and if you if you're able to engage well in any of these channels you'll do fine but the channels themselves don't hold any magic power um twitter can be a for me personally i honestly i don't have a ton of personal friends on twitter so my twitter is not nearly as you know popping or good as my instagram is because all my friends are on instagram so when I'm engaging with the, my community of people around me, I'm going to be doing it on Instagram, Twitter, I'm just kind of shouting in the void. And so any kind of marketing technique, it's the same thing. Find where your people are and then communicate to them there. Don't try to bring them to Twitter. Don't try to, you know, don't try to find a new community on Twitter. Find the people that you want to engage with and then engage with them. And if they're on Twitter, go there. If they're on Facebook, go there. If they're on Instagram, go there. It's 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 more about that engagement than it is about the technique. So if you, you know, just so happen to be the marketing manager of a podcast, not ours, but a podcast like ours, <laughs> you know, game development, something similar, yeah. what would be one cool thing that you think you could do to, I guess, promote uh, a similar type of podcast? Not ours. We're, we're good. I'm just, you know. <laughs> uh, I think... Um, I don't know. I, I think that the best thing that you can do is to. I think we're screwed, Larry. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's it. Uh, no, I, I, 
I think that people, um, you're, you're probably already doing this, to be honest, mm. is finding people that the developers want to hear from. Um, and I think that the best thing that you could do is just to continue to drive that kind of cross promotion. Um, give people the content that they want to engage with. Um, and again, it's that engagement thing. You might put out a podcast that people listen to, but um, I think that the best thing you can do is put out stuff that you would really want to hear. Mm-hmm. And if because you're you're a developer, right? You're a game developer. You're in that community. Yeah. You know what people want to hear. And so if you can find the people that you want to hear from and ask them the questions that you would want to hear, not like the questions that you know. Know, that that some 16 year old would want to hear not the basics ask him the harder deeper questions and I think that you will see a response right because those are the things that you want to know and there's probably at least 10 other people who want to know that same thing and that's I think that's the best way to do it yeah that's, a, that's a pretty damn good answer <laughs> <laughs> sorry uh, that being said, I've never run a podcast before. No, no, it's, so it's like, yeah. Honestly, that was a, a jokey kind of question, but I'm, <laughs> I'm actually really excited about what you had to say. No, thank you. Okay. Yeah. No problem. So what are shout out to shout out to our listeners? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> our listeners are the most savvy developers out there. So, uh, um, Danny, what what are the uh, biggest? Um, hurdles that you have at, at, at Speedtree where, I mean, personally, right? I, I'm assuming that you're going to have to travel a lot. Is, yeah. is that true? Yes. Yeah. So with that in mind, like uh, as a traveling man, you know, uh, it's hard to kind of put down your roots, but you look like a young man. Maybe that's, that's part of the fun. So can you kind of go into that aspect of uh, uh, going on the road and, 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 and working? Yeah, that's uh, that's a good question, man. That's actually been that's been a it's been a challenge. Um, my job has recently uh, shifted, like my role kind of keeps shifting the longer I'm here, and it's become more of being the guy who goes to like uh, just went to Germany for that next conference, which was great, uh, and I had a blast. But it's also um, it's a lot. It's a lot of it's a lot of traveling, and um, I think uh, for me, for me personally, mm-hmm. um, that what I have to do is uh, establish a really grounded home base, mm-hmm. um, and really make sure that I'm more intentionally spending time um, taking care of my taking care of my mental health and mm-hmm. and um, and establishing routines that keep me healthy. It's very easy to keep tumbling forward in whatever you're doing. Mm-hmm. Um, I've, I've countered this even when I'm not traveling a lot, even when I first started playing in the band and it was like practicing, you know, four nights a week, playing shows all the time. It's just like it's easy to start to go from like, oh, I can, you know, cook all these meals myself to, you know, I'm eating McDonald's and, you know, or eating at bars all the time. And it, it's really, really unhealthy fast. And so, um, finding your routine in your space and investing in that space and making sure that um, that, that it's a, it's a, 
the healthy place for you to come back to and relax, I, I think is, is very important. Um, the, uh, it, it's so like for me, my front porch has, has kind of been a lifesaver for these past six months, which is a very Southern country thing to say, but like I live out in the country, uh, here in South Carolina and, um, and I earlier this year, I went out and bought some new porch furniture, just some like $19 chairs at Target. And it changed my home life because I'm able to just sit on the front porch and just regroup in a way that I wasn't able to before because I either go into my office and just start working on something else or, you know, start working on some other project or sit down and start playing some video games. And what I really needed in order to keep myself grounded was a place where I can just sit and read a book or just sit and think and um, and intentionally giving myself that space that uh, is really important. Some people are really good at giving themselves that structure that they need to do well. Um, I am not one of those people. I am uh, I'm very ADD and so my life is just kind of tumbling. Anytime I build up a structure, like I always joke, like I, I never get addicted to smoking cigarettes because I will you know, <laughs> smoke cigarettes for like a week and then I'll stop because I just didn't go buy another pack and I forgot. Mm. And then like three days later, I'm like, I feel terrible. Mm. I'm like, gosh, why am I so angry all the time? And it's like, oh, so I just got really used to that nicotine and then I cut it off. Same with coffee. Like I'll go a whole week and be like, why do I feel terrible? It's like, oh, I didn't drink any coffee this weekend. Mm -hmm. And so I have to give myself that structure in order to do well. And some people are really good at creating that structure and some people aren't. But just being aware that everyone needs some level of structure and ground, I think, is the most important thing. So if you're traveling a lot, if you're, you know, shifting jobs a lot, as you do, you know, in this industry, I think the most important thing is finding those elements in your life that keep you uh, grounded and stable and then investing in them. Because when you invest in it, you'll get a return. So. Yeah, there's like a couple of things that you, you brought up that was really interesting where carving out the space to create comfort while you're on the road or at home is very important because the the layer of working from home has always been like oh i'm at home so it should be a lot easier but you, you do find yourself in a predicament of uh, not being able to separate work from home life too yeah. so do you mind kind of diving into that as well as you know what what type of things that you have to do while you're on the road while you're traveling to make things comfortable for yourself uh, well, at, in terms of um, the home life, you know, I, I did a lot of photography and I worked a lot from home and you really have to set very firm boundaries in your time. It's much easier when you have a job where you go to the office and you leave the office because that's even if you're not intentional about it, that's a mental break where you're moving from one location to another. And working from home is a very dangerous thing because it's very easy to lose that mental switch. And sometimes you have to create that for yourself. You have to say, I'm going to work for eight hours. Or I'm going to work for four hours. And I'm going to go do something else very intentionally in a cheesy kind of like, I need to separate myself from what I was just doing. Mm -hmm. um, and you have to, you have to be way more intentional about that than you think you do in order for that to stick. Um, I think a lot of times, uh, as human beings, we tend to be a little overconfident in our ability to separate ourselves from things and to prioritize these things. And the reality is, um, while there are some people who are really good at it, most of us are pretty bad at it. 
uh, and everything tends to bleed together unless we set very firm boundaries and very healthy boundaries. And so you've got to be, you know, way more intentional than you think you do to make that stuff stick. Um, in terms of traveling and the comfort, I'm not exactly sure. <laughs> the only thing that I know is that I, I carry a um, carry a huge battery pack for my phone. That's you know, like you know, it's like that big. Um, so it'll get me through a whole week. Um, it's like a laptop battery. <laughs> yeah, it's yeah, because uh, you know, I'm traveling a lot and I'm walking around a lot and always have an exercise kit, but most of the time. Uh, I always, I'm trying to travel lighter than I used to because I'll, um, I'll always overestimate what I'll need and traveling with less is a lot less stressful. And so kind of making sure that I'm only taking exactly what I need. I'm probably not going to read all three of these books while I'm on the road. So just picking that one book that I know I'm going to want to get through and then making sure that that book is something that's not going to distract me too much, but keep me refreshed. That was something I had an issue with recently on a trip is that I um, I took a book that I really liked and it was um, like, it wasn't like a fiction book. It was like a nonfiction book on language actually. And, and I started reading it on the flight out there. But the problem is I got so into it. I got so focused on it that by the time I got off, I was like, by the time I got off the flight, my mind wasn't in the right place to get onto what I needed to do next. So I think being aware of, you know, how you spend your time while traveling with these diversions is important because you can spend your time, um, you know, watching a movie or watching TV shows that can put you in a bad mental state for when you get out. Um, and I don't know if this is relevant either, but I do think that um, there is a, there is, when you're traveling long distances, one of the best things that you can do is to, um, just, I'm going to say this again, because this is a big part of my is a participation. Um, the, one of my mentors in college said, said this, and I apologize if this is a little cheesy, but participation is the heart of intimacy, right? Um, and if you, when you're traveling, it's really easy to not participate while you're traveling or when you get someplace. And that detachment, I think, um, isolates us. Um, and so whenever you're traveling, I think it's important to take a moment and um, and really understand where you are and get a feel for where you are. And I think that helps us mentally with the shift back and forth. It's, you know, it's, it's very, we get in a metal tube in one place and get out another, and we've got no sense of having traveled. And I think that that, while that doesn't necessarily, you know, affect us in a very conscious way, I think unconsciously that that can place a lot of stress on us, right? As we have to reacclimate to a new place. And I think taking some time to allow your brain to acclimate to the new place that you're at um, can really save you a lot of mental exhaustion and stress that just builds up underneath. That's um, that's my theory. At least I don't know if that's actually true, but that's that's what I have to do. I have to um, spend a little bit more time walking from place to place to taking deeper. Um, and really get a better understanding of my surrounding in order for it to make sense. And then it becomes a lot less stressful and feels a lot less like, you know, I'm spending a week in a hotel room in a conference place. I have a better feel for where I am and it, it, it helps me acclimate mentally. So. Well, I like that. That's a good travel tip for everybody is, you yeah. know, take that extra time. 
Yeah. Let yourself adjust to the new space and then enjoy, you know, the adjustment period, right? Like enjoy yeah. the wonder of being like, wow, I haven't been here before. And let me go see what this place is all about. Yeah. And then go to your conference. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's a thing. Like it's, um, I, another way to look at it is like, there's, um, I think there's various degrees of intimacy when traveling. Um, like if you're driving in a car, right? Like let's say I'm just driving up to Charlotte two hours yeah. away. I can get in my car, it's air conditioned, I've got my podcast, my music, my Bluetooth, don't even have to listen to the local radio, and I just go from point A to point B. Mm -hmm. But if I uh, was to, if I was to drive to Charlotte on a motorcycle, right, which I've done many times, it's a completely different experience because you are directly engaging with the world around you as you're going. There's no barrier. You stop at a gas station, someone is more likely to come up and talk to you because you can't hide in your car, you mm -hmm. can't roll up a window. Um, you're, so you're more likely to engage with people on the road. And then as you're driving, you smell everything, right? Mm. Like it, you don't like, if there's an area where there's like a factory that smells terrible, you're going to experience that. And you're going to experience this, this transition of sensation that covers a broad spectrum. That is the traveling experience, as opposed to just, I got in my air conditioned tube and then I got out someplace else. Mm. And that transition it really is a different, more intimate experience that gives you a better sense of the distance traveled, right? And I think, uh, I think as human beings, we're, uh, you know, we've gone through thousands and thousands of years of evolution, uh, and that evolution has not really taken into account the idea that you can go from point A to point B in no time at all. And I, I think that we're perfectly capable of doing it, but I think that um, I think that we're healthier when we can acknowledge that distance traveled. Right. I, um, I definitely can relate to that. I mean, I don't ride motorcycles like you guys, but I take the lift <laughs> a lot. And yeah. so sometimes when I don't want to talk to people, despite <laughs> I have a podcast, yeah. uh, I put my headphones on. And that experience yeah. is a lot different when I don't have my headphones on. <laughs> yeah. So I definitely yeah. relate <laughs> to what you're saying. Uh, yeah. I've seen Brandon look people dead in the eye and like just put his headphones <laughs> on like, as, they're, as they're talking yeah. to him. It's a universal sign yeah. of I don't want to talk. Yeah, yeah. But I, I get that too. Yeah. yeah. So like when you're traveling to uh, to a different place, you know, there's a whole routine, you know, getting used to it, you know, setting yourself up so that it's a home away from home. How, how, how do you connect with people at that point? I mean, a lot of times it's foreign, right? Yeah, yeah. Like how yeah. how what's di how difficult can that be? When uh, yeah, this very difficult. This was yeah. my the FMX was my first conference in Europe, um, and honestly, it was my first time going to Europe, and so it was just kind of this like double whammy of just uh, I don't speak German, um, and obviously it's it's not terrible to get along there if you don't speak German. You, mm -hmm. you know, I, I was able to get around fine, but. Um, and trying to engage with people was very different than going to a conference in San Francisco, LA, or Vancouver. Um, and it was a lot harder to engage with people because you can't just like hear someone say something and then be like, oh, wait, oh, I know you from, you know, so and so. And then like get into a conversation. Um, and so that's where uh, the best thing that you can do is. Um, you know, especially for networking and stuff, is to spend the time at the parties and don't 
don't spend the time at parties partying, but spend the time getting to know people because that's where people are going to be hanging out. They're going to be more relaxed. They're going to be more open and talking. Um, and the best conversations I had were at those things um, or even at the tail end of talks, right? The tail end talk, and I can just start a conversation with the guy next to me and just find out where he's from and, you know, and just learn a little bit more about him and then have that lead into a better conversation about uh, things. Um, Who is your daddy and what does he do? Yeah. <laughs> uh, and then the other, the other thing is that uh, I encounter this a lot as because I'm there to, to rep Speedtree, right? I'm there to mm. talk about Speedtree. Um, but no one wants to be approached by somebody like, <laughs> you know, have you heard about Lord and Savior Speedtree? Like, let me tell you about Speedtree. It's, yeah. it's, it's, it's off-putting. Uh, yeah. And I don't want to do that. <laughs> yeah, so how, um, how would you uh, trick them? but the the trick is to talk about things that they're interested in and be honestly interested yourself um like i had uh one really good conversation um with a technical director that uh, i started you know this was a guy i wanted to connect to because i wanted to talk to him about speech tree but i listened to his talk and he had some really great things to say about um procedural design and art and how those two things are interrelated. And so when I approached him, I didn't, I didn't talk about speech tree. And I said like, Hey, I really enjoyed your talk. And we just started talking about art. And we started talking about, you know, these concepts behind procedural design. And then at the tail end of it, we started talking about speech tree. Um, and it's, it's, again, it's really important to establish those relationships and have that relationship come first because that establishes trust. And if this guy can't trust me, then when I talk about speech tree, it's not going to matter anyways. It's always going to be about, um, you know, creating that relationship first, establishing some level of trust. And then if speech tree is something that they need that they're interested in, then we'll talk about it. And if we get halfway to the conversation and they're like, you know, uh, you know, we 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 never do a single tree in anything that we ever do. Uh, I'm not going to try to talk to them about speed tree. Or if they're like, you know, no, I do all my trees by hand and max, you know, and that's I'm never going to change it. I'm going to be like, that's awesome. I mean, that's that's fantastic. I'm not going to try to sell you a a paintbrush that you don't need if you're using something else. Um, that's when you say, hey, can we license some of those trees for speed tree? <laughs> if you're generating content, we can. <laughs> yeah. And, no, yeah, yeah, it's yeah. So it's just it's just about developing that trust and um, and again engaging with people honestly. People can even if they can't put their finger on it, they can sense when someone is bullshitting. Mm-hmm. And so uh, just try not to bullshit. Just try to be right. just try to be honest. And I think honesty, right, is the key because there's also that feeling of like, hey, I've been talking to this person, the conversation's been going well. And then as soon as I said, oh, I make all my trees in max, oh, okay, cool, man. And then they walk yeah. away, right? Yeah. Like, <laughs> yeah. yeah, that's a <laughs> that, yeah. that ruins everything that you have built up, you know, in my opinion, right? Like if you just, right. like, oh, okay, see you. Yeah, that's, they feel used. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Yeah. Dude, he's being nice. But I would be like, why? <laughs> why are you making trees by hand, man? Don't you have better things to do? <laughs> I, I mean, like, there, there's an element of that. But honestly, everyone here at Speedtree respects, yeah. you know, people. Because we, we're not trying to sell a religion of Speedtree here. We're trying mm-hmm. to sell a tool. And we're trying to sell paintbrush. And the important thing about paintbrushes is that they're used for art. So... Mm-hmm. 
the first, the most important thing is that people keep creating amazing worlds um, and that people keep creating amazing arts and it, art. And if you do that with 3ds Max, like that's that's great. We we'd love to help you with it, but if you don't need help with it, then you know that's perfectly fine. The most important thing is that you're creating. Um, we only want to enable and empower artists. We don't want to overtake the world. <laughs> but, uh, you know, it's 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 really more about um, empowering artists to create than anything else. So, I, like I, I will say this, and this will be my last statement. With the onslaught of Battle Royale news, I think business is good. <laughs> There's a lot of opportunity popping up, I bet. Yeah, business is good. Um, honestly, um, yeah, business has been really great. We've, uh, I think I'm more excited about Speed Tree now than I ever have been, to be honest. Um, when I first started, it was, you know, it was really great. It was really exciting. But um, with the, introduction of PBR rendering in the modeler, right? And PBR material setup and our new scanning setup for getting those materials. And now the new thing is photogrammetry. Mm-hmm. And I'm not gonna lie, man, this photogrammetry stuff is is really, really exciting. And the ability to kind of merge both worlds together. Because previously it's been this, you know, there's photogrammetry. And so you have to use some kind of 3ds Max or Maya workflow or use ZBrush to kind of meld everything together. Or you can use SpeedTree. But the ability to use it both, I think, is going to uh, really change a lot of things in the industry. Um, I think, uh, you know, we talk about this a lot in the office. I think we're, I think we've, uh, I don't think we're going to see another AAA game that doesn't use photogrammetry. Um, I think everything is going to use photogrammetry for something going forward. Mm-hmm. And, um, and so, you know, what we're trying to do is give people a better tool to work with that. Um, we're not trying to adopt it as our own. We're not going to reconstruct meshes or compete with RC or, you know, Agisoft, but we just want to give people a tool to be able to create these things more intuitively and, uh, and faster in a speedy fashion. Um, but the, uh, but yeah, photogrammetry stuff that's coming up is, is, is super exciting. Uh, we've got it. Um, Michael, the lead engineer, has been working on this the past couple of days, and we got it now to where it will join a base mesh with a procedural trunk that comes out of it, and then it will auto-generate a texture to blend between the two textures and apply it to a scene. So you can go from uh, photogrammetry to, you know, five variations of that photogrammetry trunk super easily. And uh, we've already been talking to a lot of uh Lost studios are really excited to get their hands on it, and I can't, I can't wait to get it out there. Honestly, um, and we're getting real close, but it's, it's going to be very exciting. So, yeah, it must be exciting to be an artist these days because I see all the tools that help do. I don't want to say like rudimentary or you know like repetitive. Like, who wants to model a, a whole forest? Yeah. But who wants to model like the half cracked ship that has like little areas that you can like swim into and like the tread, you know, like yeah. you can spend more time on doing like the hero or the unique kind of appeal items that are probably super fun to model and less yeah. time. And not to down, not downplay anyone who models like forests, rocks or dirt and things like that. But I bet you probably want to model the temple or the, the, the chalice or the, the talisman that you're supposed to get from the temple more so than like, you know, the foundational elements, I guess. Yeah. And like a lot of it is just where you spend your time, right? Like if you're making a tree, 
um, you know, if you don't have to worry about animating the tree, right, or if you don't have to worry about uh, painting vertex colors on the tree, then you can spend more time just creating the tree, right? Yeah. And that's really the most important part. Um, and so what SpeedTree tries to do is take some of that stuff, that, um, that kind of busy work, and, uh, you know, make it procedural so that you can just apply vertex colors procedurally. So if you're working in Lumberyard or if you're working in a custom engine, you can get that wind effect you need without having to go through and paint each individual mesh. Um, and then, uh, you know, the photogrammetry is another great example of it. We're not, we're not necessarily changing the whole game about how photogrammetry is done. We're just creating a process that's just a lot more intuitive that allows you to get there faster and create more with it and spend more time doing art design and spend more time getting it exactly how you want it rather than, um, you know, having to spend a ton of time, you know, putting your atlases together by hand. Our new mesh cutout tool is another great example of that. If you can download a atlas from Quixel, um, you can use our new mesh cutout tool to go through and actually uh, carve out each individual leaf and assign that to multiple meshes. And that saves you hours of work, um, just that alone. And that's not something that is you know, necessarily hard to do uh, back in the 3ds Max, but it will save you hours and hours of work that you could be spending you know, designing your tree and getting the feel and look right, because that's, that's a big project in and of itself. And so the more time you can spend doing your art design, the, um, the more uh, cohesive your environment is going to feel. And that's really what we're trying to do. So. Well, I'm looking at my stopwatch and it says we've been podcasting for about an hour. Yeah. And so at this time, Brent and I usually like to refill our coffee mugs and go get our granola bars. And uh, we're going to leave you in the studio by yourself to take over the airwaves and talk directly to our audience to promote, shout out, or raise awareness for something you're involved in or something that you think just needs a little more attention. So without further ado, sir, the floor is yours. All right. Um, I don't know, I guess, I guess the only thing that I'd like to say is, um, uh, support the games that are, um, that are creating, um, even if they're not perfect, um, support the games that are taking these new ideas and creating, you know, taking these existing ideas and then creating new ideas out of them. Um, I, I think that uh, one of the most exciting parts about my job here at Speed Tree is the ability to engage with developers at all levels and to engage with a lot of the indie developers who are doing these exciting things and are constantly breaking Speed Tree because they're using it in ways that aren't in, in how it's intended, right? That's the most exciting thing to me. So um, honestly, if I can say anything, it's just keep creating and keep breaking the tools that you're using as much as possible. Figure out how they're used and do something completely different with it and then support the content that is breaking those rules over and over again because that's going to make our whole industry healthier and that's just going to raise everything up so that's really all that i can say i'm not going to sit here and like rep speed tree can you speed tree come and get it you can come talk to me we'll, we'll talk about trees but just just keep creating great art and support people who are doing um who are creating uh, new ideas with it because it's a it's a language that's developing and you know, we're all contributing to it so all right uh one last one for me if anyone was trying to contact you with something interesting do you have a preferred method for contact 
Uh, well, again, we're a small company, so if you contact us on Facebook, Twitter, uh, email, it's it's probably all going to come to me anyway. So feel free to find us at speedtree.com. Um, you know, you find us on Facebook, uh, Twitter, Speedtree Inc. On Instagram as well. Um, but if, if anyone needs anything, just send us an email. Uh, you can reach me at oaks at speedtree.com. That's O A K E S at speedtree.com. Just hit me up there. I'll be happy to talk to you. All right. Well, with Speedtree, you can make whole environments at the speed of light. I'm Larry Charles, and I'm saying good night. We're in the fan. See you guys next week. Thanks, guys. If you enjoyed this podcast and you want to stay in touch or continue to follow our developments, then you need to go to facebook.com forward slash game dev unchained and drop a like and stay in touch. You can also get the direct feed for this podcast on soundcloud.com forward slash game dev unchained.